0: This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. Never give up on biblical truth. Never give up on the infallibility of the Word of God. Never give up on the faith that once delivered. Never give up on the biblical orthodoxy. And when you understand the backdrop to this epistle, second epistle of Timothy, and when you understand the importance of this message for our generation, where the apostle Paul, the aged, imprisoned apostle, realized that his days are numbered, and that the day of his meeting Jesus face-to-face is approaching, he decides to leave this epistle as his legacy— for future generation of church leaders and church members. Please hear me right. This is an exhortation to this and future generation of church leaders, church members, and any generation. There is falsehoods and compromise, and those falsehoods and compromises always start on a very minuscule component. They are so imperceptible, Most people sitting in the pews, they don't even realize it. They don't even understand it. And yet, in time, it keeps going in a downward direction. Let me give you an example. At the end of 2019, the Archbishop, newly appointed Archbishop of York, now in the Church of England, the highest authority is the Archbishop of Canterbury. The second highest is the Archbishop of York the newly appointed Archbishop of York, has told the clergy and the licensed preachers in his domain that he will defrock them, that he will fire them, that he will discipline them if they do not support gay marriage. Now, we've come a long way from the day of the English reformers who were burned at the stake for their fidelity to the Word of God. Now, I'm going to say some things about the condition of the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, before I get to the text, as I look in the church at large in the 21st century, it's like a hothouse. A hothouse is a climate-controlled building for plants. It keeps the plants in a protected environment. It keeps the plants constantly in a 72-degree temperature— They even pipe in beautiful music so that the plants will grow in a nice environment. (laughs) The gardener will come in and gently spray super-organic fertilizer. (laughs) But the moment you take that plant out of its protective environment, it welts before your eyes. Beloved, this is a picture of the 21st century church today in the West— And yet, the Word of God tells us so clearly that when we are rooted and established upon the Word of God, we bloom no matter where we are planted. If you are planted in Pharaoh's prison, you will rise up and become the prime minister of Egypt. If you are planted in the den of lions, you will rise up and be in charge of the Persian Empire. If you are planted in the fiery furnace, you will rise up and witness to the king. If you are planted in the desert, you will bloom, and you'll proclaim that God is with us. From the book of Acts and from historical documents, we know that the apostle Paul was imprisoned twice. He was imprisoned twice. You remember when he had the shipwreck going from Jerusalem to Rome? There that his first imprisonment was more like a house arrest. He was in a rented accommodation. Sure, he was on the guard, but he was rented accommodation, and he was able to receive visitors. But then, he was freed because of lack of evidence against him. Then, there is a strong indication that he went from there to Spain. You remember when he wrote to the Romans, and he said, I have longing to come to you so that you might send me on my way to Spain. The goal of his life, the desire of his love, the longing of his life was to go to Spain and preach the gospel there too. That way he would have covered the empire from side to side. After he preached in Spain and came back, that he was arrested in Troas, This was during the time of the great persecution. You remember Nero burnt Rome and blamed it on the Christian. And the severe persecution began back then, and it was so severe that Paul himself was arrested, and he was placed in a dungeon. This aged, physically weak apostle of God was languishing in a dungeon. Now, my wife and I have been to Rome on several occasions, and every time I wanted to know where that dungeon was, but nobody knew. My wife wouldn't give up, and we found it. When I got into this place, I become so deeply moved. These were four walls and a hole in the ceiling in the middle of the room where they can throw down the food and water to the great apostle. Four walls no windows whatsoever to look out in the outside world. And I'm told that in winter it's so damp and it's so cold. You talk about plants in a hothouse. <laughs> Far from it. We don't know exactly how long the Apostle Paul was in that dungeon, in that miserable place, but we know that from there he was taken to the place of execution on the Augustine Way. There He laid his gray head on a great stone, and in a moment, the executioner's acts decapitated him. And Paul did experience absence from the body and presence with the Lord, instantly. Sometimes, immediately before that horrible, violent act, the apostle took pen to paper, and he wrote, "'For the future generation.'" I am so grateful to the Sovereign Lord for preserving such document. Also, I believe that the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle so that every person who is defeated may experience victory and triumph, that each one may know joy in the midst of their despair, that every one of us can experience encouragement— in the midst of discouragement. The one thing that comes through again and again and again is that the apostle Paul knew his spiritual son, Timothy. He knew him only too well. He knew his strength, and he knew his weaknesses. He knew how prone Timothy was to discouragement and how he's prone to self-pity, and how he's prone to the temptation of throwing in the towel and giving up. Timothy apparently was a timid soul. He was not assertive, which made unscrupulous people take advantage of him. And therefore, the Apostle Paul, as he contemplates his own departure from this side to heaven, he writes to Timothy, and basically, if I can put it in few words, saying to him, don't ever give up. Can you say that with me? Don't ever give up. In fact, in each one, as we seek to stand up for the truth, regardless of the cost, just as Paul is telling Timothy to do, and that is why we call this series, Don't Ever Give Up. And there are reasons. You find one, after another, each chapter, each of the four chapters, he gives them reasons. In chapter one, he says, You must uphold the truth at any cost. In chapter two, he said, Don't be afraid of suffering for the truth. In chapter three, he said, You must be steadfast even when others are not. In chapter four, he said, Keep on your sense of urgency. Beloved, I believe with all my heart at this stage in my life and ministry. That this is an urgent message to the church in the 21st century. We have lost our sense of urgency, and I pray under God that He will indeed stir up that sense of urgency in every one of our hearts. So many in my generation are losing their grip of the truth, but I thank God every day, and God only knows that that he is now raising up a new generation of young Timothys. And so look with me at the first seven verses of chapter one, Second Timothy. In verse 1, you see the Apostle Paul asserts, as he does in all the epistles, he asserts his unique calling in Christ Jesus, the unique call on his life. Like all the other twelve The apostle Paul was qualified to be called an apostle because the main qualification for being called an apostle is that they have seen the resurrected Jesus. And that is why the apostle Paul called himself an apostle, because he not only saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he was commissioned by the resurrected Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And that is why now He's not afraid to die in Jesus and for Jesus. Look at verse 2. Paul addresses Timothy as son. Of course, he's not his physical son. He's his spiritual son. Timothy came to the Lord through the ministry of the apostle Paul. And Paul becomes his spiritual father. If you follow Leading the Way, you know that we have the 2025 vision that I believe God gave me after fasting and praying And the vision is that when I get to heaven, I want to see one million people, spiritual sons and spiritual daughters, with me in heaven. And I thank God that this is already happening. Look with me at verses 3 to 6. Here you find, not some of, the most intensely personal words that you ever hear from the Apostle Paul— These are the most intensely intimate words that the Apostle ever expressed in all of his writings. Here, he said to Timothy, I remember you in my prayers. Not just when I pray in the morning, not just on occasions, not like he said to others, in remembrance of you, every time I think of you, I pray for you. No, no, no. He said, I pray for you day and night. What an encouragement, what a shot in the arm to Timothy to know that the great Apostle Paul, praying for him day and night, day and night. And he said, as I pray for you day and night, Timothy, I recall your tears. I recall your faith, your sincere faith. I recall your godly heritage. I recall your godly mom and your godly grandma who have prayed for you who have ministered to you, who have instructed you, so much so that you were prepared as soon as you heard the message of the gospel, you believed it. Now, beloved, I want to stop here for a minute and tell you, sowing seed in the minds and the hearts of your children at home and grandchildren will bear fruit. Trust me, I say it on the authority of the Word of God. You might not see the fruit right away. You might not experience that fruit immediately, but make no mistake about it. Sooner or later, the fruit will come about. In Timothy's case, obviously, his mom and his grandmother have trained him well in the Old Testament and have showed him the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. They prepared his heart to be expectant of the coming of the Messiah— They obviously taught him to hope for the coming Messiah from the pages of the Old Testament. They taught him the importance of living expectantly of the coming Messiah. No wonder that kind of preparation compelled him that as soon as he heard from the Apostle Paul that the Messiah came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he's ascended into heaven, and that he's soon coming back as judge, Timothy put his faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't know, but apparently Timothy's father was a Gentile and possibly a Greek. He's not mentioned here, so I'm not going to speculate. But what Paul is doing here, he's giving us an example of what I taught you when I preached through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. When Paul said that the children of a believing spouse—one parent, doesn't have to be both—one are sanctified in that believing parents, meaning that God has a plan for the children if even one parent is a believer. I hope that you vividly remember that. And here, what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's saying, here's an exhibit A. Here's an exhibit A of what I'm teaching about how the children of believing parents will come to Christ— Exhibit A is Timothy. Timothy, because of his faith of his mother and his grandmother and the preparation and the seeds that they had planted in his heart and his life, now he became the successor of the great apostle Paul. And Paul says, I remember how you received the Holy Spirit when we laid hands on you. I remember how you got the gift of the Holy Spirit like we all have the gifts of the, different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I remember how you exercised that gift of the Holy Spirit. And here, he says, the great encourager, the Apostle Paul is saying, I remember all of that, Timothy, and I thank God for you. Those are truly magnificent words to a discouraged Timothy. Now, beloved, probably the same devil who was working on Timothy to discourage him, the same devil who was trying to tempt him to give up, is the same devil who's working on some of you today. No doubt it's the same devil. It's the same devil. Probably the same devil who was tempting Timothy to throw in the towel and give up and slow down and give up the fight is that same devil who's tempting you today? So I would do whatever it takes to encourage you to get up, get out the family album, <laughs> get out the word of God, and start remembering. Start remembering God's past blessings. Start remembering God's past protection. Start remembering God's past watching over you. Start remembering how He rescued you. Sometimes you did not even know it. Start remembering how God used you in the past, how God worked in you in the past, and today that same God wants to bless you, encourage you, and use you again. Which brings me to the very heart of what Paul is saying to Timothy in this particular passage. Here's what he's saying. He said, Timothy, shake off your timidity shake off your fear, shake off your discouragement, shake off your weariness, shake off the temptation to give up and take it easy. Look at verse 7 with me. For God did not give us the spirit of fear or timidity, it's really the same word, but the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. I understand from this that there is a specific spirit evil spirit, not from God, has nothing to do with God. It's an evil spirit, and he specializes in fear. If you read my book, Conquer, I'll show you the hierarchy in the spiritual realm, and Satan and his, and his demons. There is powers and authority, and they all have a hierarchy. And this evil spirit, who's not from the Lord, as I said, specializes in fear. Now, I don't know how many demons could be billions or trillions? We don't know. We have no idea how many demons he would have deployed this particular evil spirit, he would deploy to work on God's believers. We don't know. We don't know how many of those demons are doing the bidding of that evil spirit. But it doesn't matter. What matters is that we recognize A, that is not from the Lord. It's an evil spirit. The Bible says, He who's in us, that's the Holy Spirit, is greater than He who's in the world. That's the evil spirits. All of them put together. He who's in us is greater than He who's in the world. Can you say that with me? He who's in us is greater than He who's in the world. The evil spirit of fear has one overarching task. Oh, yes, they're focused. I don't think the demons have ADD, (laughs) and I do, (laughs) and I have to work hard on concentrating. They are laser-focused. What is it? What do they want to do? They want to paralyze your effectiveness. They want to neutralize your impact. They want to numb your spiritual senses. They want to terrify you into a prison cell of your own making. I hope the irony is not wasted on any of us. Paul is in a dungeon of a Roman prison. But he knew that if we live in fear, we are in a prison worse than his. If we live in fear, we're behind bars more powerful than steel. If we live in fear, we are in a prison more inescapable than Alcatraz. Now, beloved, listen to me. Fear can destroy your abilities. Fear can hamper your drive. Fear can paralyze your commitment. Fear can stunt your spiritual growth. Fear can destroy your marriage, your family, and your relationships. Fear can destroy your health and even can kill you, which is the desire of the devil anyway. And that is why Paul wants Timothy and every one of us to know that because the devil controls the spirit of fear, and because the devil is a liar, he will masquerade. He will not come and say, I am fear, and I'm here to terrorize you. No, 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 no. He will come to you something like being super cautious. You know what I'm talking about? Just being careful. I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Let's not take risk. Let's not do crazy things. Let's not trust God with things that we're not sure he's going to do or not. And as being incapable and feeling inadequate or insecure or lacking in confidence. False humility. Oh, others can do better. Of course they can. <laughs> but God's calling you. Beloved, I know what I'm talking about. I have experienced raw fear within inches of my face, of facing death. But the Holy Spirit of God breathed in me and said, fear not. In fact, that is why those two words are repeated by our Lord Jesus again and again and again. Fear not. Fear not. Say it with me. Fear not. Fear not life. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and The life. Not a life. The life. Fear not death. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the one who lives, was dead, and behold, I'm living forevermore. Fear not the unknown. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end and everything in between. The one thing the great apostle has learned in over 30 years of walking with the Lord serving the Lord, preaching the gospel of the Lord. The one thing he understood, that there's only one antidote to fear. Beloved, listen to me. There's only one antidote to fear. What is it? What is it? What is it? it? The God who is in total control of your life can banish fear out of your life. It might not happen in an instant, but it's a daily thing. When I was 12, 13, that kind of age, I was not what you call a small boy. (laughs) I was always big. I was a big baby. In fact, by the time I was 13, I was already 5'10". But due to my Christian upbringing, I allowed the street bully to bully me. And I encourage you all, young people, just walk away. That's what I did. I constantly just walked away, regardless of whether I can take that little short one on I just walked away. Every time he will attack me as I'm walking down the street and say all kinds of things, I just keep walking. Until one day, my brother Nader, who's the oldest in the family, he was nineteen years older than me. He was six five. He was a big boy. <laughs> and one day I'm walking down the street with him and I saw that little blighter on the street corner, that street bully standing there. I left my brother and walked straight up to him, and I looked him in the eye. He ran like a jackrabbit. See, that's what a bully saw. He intimidated me for so long until he saw my big brother. So take your big brother Jesus with you. When fear comes to you, show your big brother Jesus. and stare to that spirit of fear in the eye. Ask yourself the question, what is stopping your effectiveness? What excuse do you have for not serving and giving and doing? Is it fear of failure? I know all about failure. I've experienced it in my life many times. But I would rather try to do something and fail then succeeded nothing. Listen to me. You cannot be defeated unless you accept defeat in your heart. Let me repeat this. You cannot be defeated unless you accept defeat in your heart. Please hear me right. I'm about to finish. Falling down does not make you a failure. Staying down does. Did you get that? Falling down does not make you a failure, but staying down does. Failure is never your undertaker. It's only your teacher. Failure is never a dead-end street when you are in Jesus. It's only a detour. Sometimes I hear people say, well, Michael, my past sins are just haunting me not if you place them under the blood of Jesus amen god buried your sins in the deepest sea and there he put a sign fishing is not allowed is it the fear of the unknown the bible said no weapon is formed against you will prosper it may look like succeeding but it will not prosper The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And so, the Word of God to us today, all of us, regardless of where we are, the Word of God, as He's spoken to Timothy, it's spoken to every one of us, we need to know that God is in control of every aspect of our lives, no matter how much the devil might bark, we already have received the victory because He has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us power, gives us courage, gives us strength, gives us the ability to love the unlovable, gives us all that we need to be faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters. I lift up every discouraged person. I lift up every timid individual. I lift up every fearful person. Father, I pray that you today visit every trembling heart with the power of your Holy Spirit, that each one would rise up and bless your name, and rise up and do some great things for you because you are a great God.